Welcome to some very famous people you've never really heard of. Bite-sized biographies of the famous, the infamous, and the quirky in less than an hour. My name is Philip D. Gibbons, and there is more information about me, this podcast, and a bibliography at someveryfamouspeople.com. There are also photographs of many of the individuals mentioned in this episode. At the conclusion of this presentation, there will be additional suggestions concerning further reading about today's subject, Ted Noy, the Cambodian Donut King of Southern California. I wouldn't have this much, much with you, sir. But I'll get over you. Don't see my new did to you. Just know she might hurt you. What you do to me? You say you love me. Now you dump me. Morganze. But why? What you do to me? You say you love me. Throughout the 1960s and 70s, a bitter civil war raged in the country of Cambodia between the communist Khmer Rouge and initially the government of Prince Sihanouk, and ultimately a CIA-backed military junta led by General Lan Nol. Eventually, in 1975, the Khmer Rouge prevailed. The civil war was over, but immediately the newly triumphant Marxist government led by Pol Pot would begin to impose a brutal and sadistic regime upon the Cambodian population. Especially vulnerable were members of the former government and military who were ruthlessly hunted down and brutally tortured and executed. Those who had the means or the opportunity fled the country, many opting for Southern California. One of these Cambodians was Bun Tech Noi, a 32-year-old former member of the Cambodian military with well-connected in-laws. Noy was especially eager to emigrate and bring his wife and three children to the safety of the United States. After his family spent a month in a Thai refugee camp, he arrived at Camp Pendleton, California, penniless, his connections in Cambodia now meaningless. With no job and no assets, the Noy family was stuck in a marine barracks until a nearby Lutheran church sponsored their visas and gave Bun Tech a job as a janitor. The church also lined up another job for the refugee, pumping gas at a service station at night. This was quite a come down for the immigrant family, especially Noy's wife, Sugantini. As a young, ambitious, but poor teenager in 1967, Noy left the small-town countryside of Cambodia to study French and English in the nation's capital, Phnom Penh. His shabby apartment was situated near the mansion of the Kun family, the father of this family, a high-ranking official in the Cambodian government. Noy immediately noticed and became attracted to Kun's daughter, Sugantini, a fellow student in his language classes. At night, he would play a flute, the sounds of romantic music wafting into the nearby villa where it was heard by Sugantini and her mother, who both wondered about the source of these beguiling melodies. Noy then secretly began sending notes to Sugantini through the family maid, identifying himself as the flute player. Sixteen, incredibly sheltered, forbidden to have friends or talk to boys or even leave home by herself, the lonely girl eventually wrote back. They continued a correspondence until Noy suggested that he visit. Sugantini's villa was guarded by armed government soldiers and dogs, the idea of a face-to-face -face meeting practically laughable. Still, Sugantini teased her persistent suitor. 
I don't think you would dare come to my room. One night during a torrential downpour, Noy crawled under barbed wire and climbed up against a giant coconut tree inside the compound. He jumped onto the home's roof and slipped inside through an open window, having no idea of the location of Sugantini's room. Guessing, he randomly picked a door and entered. Luckily, it was the 16-year-old girl's and not her father's. She let him sleep there and then hid him during the day. For a month and a half, they snuck out late at night via the coconut tree and raced around the capital on the teenage boy's motor scooter. At dawn, they would return to her home until eventually Noi was discovered and angrily expelled. He was then summoned to a Kung family gathering and forced to officially terminate the relationship. Instead, he pulled out a knife, declared his love, and then stabbed himself in the abdomen. Sugantini also attempted suicide with an overdose of pills. These dramatic acts persuaded the Kung family of the couple's deep love and sincerity. They relented, and despite deep misgivings, the couple married. Noy's brother-in-law was an army general, and in 1970, when Noy joined the military, he was quickly promoted to major. Eventually, he was assigned to a government post in Thailand, where he, his wife, and two children wrote out the turmoil of Cambodian politics and revolution until April 1975, and the decision to flee to the West. Noy quickly adapted to the U.S., adopting the westernized name of Ted, while his wife became Christy. He also attempted to build a new career and thought about how he would escape from his menial drudgery of pumping gas. He was at work when a fellow employee told him to keep an eye on things while he went across the street. The co-worker brought back a box of donuts and offered one to Ted. They reminded him of small cakes he used to eat in Cambodia, and soon he was a frequent customer of the store known as DK's Donuts. He also noticed that the establishment did a brisk business regardless of the time of day. Barely able to speak minimal English, he still asked the store's owners about their business and how he could open his own donut shop. Surprisingly, they were quite helpful, but they cautioned him about opening a business with no real experience. They told him of the management program at Winchell's Donuts, and with glowing referrals from his employers, Noy was accepted into the program, the first Cambodian ever to be admitted. It was tough work with a monthly salary of only $500. The teaching facility needed to be kept spotless, the donuts requiring specific English comprehension that was difficult for him to understand. But he persevered and soon was given his own store to manage in a good location in Newport Beach. He was friendly and outgoing to his customers, and his interaction in the store allowed him to practice his English. Eventually, in 1976, one of his customers showed him an ad in the local newspaper, the Orange County Register, advertising a donut shop for sale. Noy had meticulously saved $20,000. The seller financed the rest of the $45,000 purchase price. Humbly, he worked for the old owners for a month to learn the ropes, brought in his wife to run their store, and kept his job at Winchell's. Within a year, he paid off the loan and then bought a second store in Fullerton, California. All of his stores would be named Christie's in honor of his wife. His immediate business inspiration was to bake small batches of donuts throughout the day, acknowledging that hot-out-of-the-fryer donuts tasted a lot better than the typical product that sat in a showcase for hours at a time. Ted's idea made his donuts popular, and within the next year he owned and managed a total of five stores. He was a successful businessman who had reinvented himself and established a viable business in a completely different culture. 
But Noy quickly recognized that managing and operating five retail outlets of any kind of business was an exhausting and demanding occupation. He was also adopting the American concept of thinking big, of how to become even more successful and prosperous, despite already working a backbreaking schedule. His second brilliant idea was to open up new stores and lease them to the ever-increasing Khmer immigrant population that kept coming to the U.S. from Southeast Asia. Noy imparted his knowledge of donuts as well as American business culture and opened dozens of stores as he and his wife traveled the state in a motorhome, naming all of them Christie's. His nephew opened up a distributor that sold items and ingredients essential to the donut retail trade and extended credit to Cambodians just starting out in the business. Noy handled transactions the old-fashioned, traditional way, with a handshake. His tenants, industrious Chinese-Cambodians, paid their rent on time and hired their families to help run the stores. Soon, Noy owned dozens of shops across the state of California, expanding without any real business plan. Noy also quickly developed a method of locating potential new locations with a personal, hands-on approach. Leafing through dozens of classified business pages, he would locate an existing donut store that was for sale. Then he would park outside the location for hours, personally observing the number of customers and potential revenue. Using this information, he became knowledgeable about estimating an appropriate sale price during negotiations with existing owners. After purchasing a shop, he would work there himself for a month, keeping existing employees whenever possible. He maintained recipes as long as the ingredients met his high standards for quality. At the appropriate time, he would then offer the business for lease to one of many Cambodian families looking to get into the donut business. He kept rents reasonable at approximately $400 a month, wanting the new business owners to succeed. By the early 80s, Winchell's Donuts, the dominant retailer in California for decades, began to decline. It was impossible for the firm to compete with immigrant families who could supply cheap labor, work long hours, and subsist on very modest profits. Noy also never neglected or took advantage of his countrymen. He sponsored numerous Cambodians for visas and co-signed loans for ambitious leaseholders who wanted to strike out on their own. By 1985, he was a millionaire and a very respected member of the Cambodian community. He and his wife moved into a 7,000-square-foot home in Mission Viejo, and Noy became active in the Orange County Republican Party. The couple attempted to relax from years of a workaholic mentality with trips to Hawaii and Las Vegas. Not only was Winchell's grip on the state's donut business loosening, Dunkin' Donuts' attempt to gain access to the California market also faltered, the chain no match for the ever-increasing numbers of Cambodian retail shop owners who had an unbeatable formula. By the early 90s, there was an estimated 2,400 Cambodian donut shops in California. Most of them could trace their existence back to Ted Noy. But Noy was personally, mentally, and physically burnt out. In his own words, he described his life as money, donuts, sleep. Unfortunately, he was about to be seized by a new passion. Initially only an infrequent visitor to Las Vegas, the Cambodian became fascinated by blackjack, he began to haunt his favorite casino, Caesar's Palace, with a predictable result. Becoming a high roller, he was rewarded with free rooms, perks, and airfare, but losing big and plunging his marriage into crisis. His wife became angry and alarmed when her husband forged her signature on checks and signed his own name to massive casino markers that were frequently paid back by selling off individual donut stores to their operators and loans from relatives. Soon Noy's reputation in the Cambodian business community deteriorated. 
The refugees who once begged him for support and advice now shunned him in fear he would hit them up for loans that he could not repay. He resorted to Gamblers Anonymous, but despite the effect his poignant tale had on other members of his chapter, Noy continued to gamble. Desperate to turn his life around, Ted decided to enter a Buddhist monastery in Washington, D.C. He shaved his head and donned the traditional robes in preparation for a return to Thailand and another monastery in a remote area of the country. Ultimately returning to Orange County, he bet more than ever, getting involved in sports gambling and wagering huge amounts on individual sporting events. By the early 90s, Noy's donut fortune dwindled to virtually nothing. His home was foreclosed upon, his empire of shops gone. With his wife, he decided to return to his native Cambodia to get involved with politics and the first free elections the country would hold in 1993. He formed the Free Development Republican Party and hoped that his stature as a wealthy expatriate and father figure to many of his countrymen would help him establish political momentum. Initially, this attempt was a complete failure, and Noy's party failed to win a single seat in the 1993 parliamentary elections. Ted's personal finances also were further dissipated on a failed attempt at rice importation. Fortunately, he received an appointment to the government of Prime Minister Hun Sen as an economic advisor. Noy would use his political connections back in the States to help Cambodia acquire most favored nation trading status, a boon to a newly created Cambodian garment manufacturing industry. He remained a prominent member of the government. Unfortunately, in 1999, a lengthy visit of his wife back to California to visit with one of her grandchildren precipitated another family crisis. Noy would shatter his marriage when he became involved with a younger Cambodian woman, moved her into his home in his wife's absence, and got her pregnant. Christie could tolerate just about anything, but this was crossing the line. Ted and Christie got a divorce, and his wife never returned to Cambodia. Although Noy would eventually marry his mistress and have two children, his economic situation remained precarious. He became alienated from the government, publicly excoriating the regime as corrupt, and denouncing two former colleagues during a 2002 press conference, the Commerce Minister and the head of the Cambodian Chamber of Commerce. Dissolving his political party, he subsequently returned to the United States, leaving his new wife and children behind. Ted Noy returned to Los Angeles for a second time, again broke, but this time an older, more cynical man. While a few of the donut shops that bore his wife's name were still operating, the industry was changing once again. Healthier diets meant less donut consumption, as weight loss, especially in Southern California, became a national obsession. Backbreaking hours and low profit margins prompted his countrymen to try and climb the ladder into more profitable enterprises like liquor stores, mini-marts, and fast food. Unlike his previous journey to America, this time he had a reputation that kept him at arm's length from his former associates. Drawing on his past experience, Noy joined a local Christian church and with nowhere else to go, wound up sleeping on the screened-in back porch of a fellow church member. Noy eventually came to believe that he was being punished for betraying the vow of eternal love he made to his first wife when he climbed into her room in Phnom Penh more than 30 years earlier. Ted Noy also quickly determined that he was wasting his time in Southern California. No one would help him, and even more importantly, no one would lend him money. He was also guilty about leaving his second family in Cambodia, so he decided to return again to his homeland. By now, his second wife had also decided that Ted had no future. She assumed at the very least that he was a man of means and an influential politician who would always be able to at least support her. 
with Noy pushing 70 and believing that this was no longer possible, she became involved in another relationship and told Ted that their children were now his responsibility. Always chasing an investment opportunity, Ted decided to try his luck in the former French colonial coastal resort town of Kep. Again, his prospects went nowhere, and he was reduced to living in the ruins of a government minister's broken-down vacation home, provided that he and his children only slept on the porch. Noy and his family somehow survived through the country's rainy season, living on noodles and old rusted bicycle, their only means of transportation. Ted Noy was a long way from the high life in Orange County, California. The bicycle became Ted's link to his newfound community. It was lent to him by a younger man named Inakrith Lau, an aspiring businessman who met Ted when Lau was a young entrepreneur and at a critical juncture in his business career. With Noy's advice and encouragement, the younger man built a successful travel business and believes the older man was greatly responsible for his positive development. Other younger residents of the city soon began to seek out Noy for advice. Aware of his success in the United States and his ability to circumvent bureaucracy with his connections in what is a very insular and cliquish business environment, he made small commissions advising on modest land deals, enough to eventually involve himself in profitable real estate transactions of his own. By 2009, Noy was able to make a considerable sum, brokering a deal for a large Chinese corporation interested in acquiring Cambodian land for development. He eventually was able to put together similar transactions, re-establishing himself and his fortune. He moved back to Phnom Penh and bigger deals and commissions. Most media accounts of Ted Noy end sometime around 2014. It's hard to keep up with an individual so far away from the Western press, even in the age of the Internet. But judging from his Facebook page, he is alive and surviving quite well. His photos page features him, a man in his 70s, with a much younger and beautiful woman who he began dating when she was in her teens. Judging from the photo, they seem quite happy. Ted Noy leaves quite a legacy in Southern California. There are at least 700 donut shops in Los Angeles County alone, twice as many as Chicago, and substantially more than New York. At the turn of the century, there were 9,700 donut shops in the United States. 2,600 were in California. Although the retail donut business on the West Coast has transformed into a hybrid of donuts, Chinese food, Mexican specialties, and other forms of fast food, many of these establishments can directly trace their lineage to a single individual, a Cambodian immigrant named Ted, who provided a remarkable iteration of the American dream. Thank you for listening to this podcast about Ted Noy. Much of the information for this presentation came from Duncan and the Donut King, a November 2nd, 2014 article by Greg Nichols that appeared in the California Sunday Magazine, and From Sweet Success to Bitter Tears, a January 19th, 2005 article by Sam Quinones that appeared in the Los Angeles Times. There are also additional photographs, bibliographical, and musical information at someveryfamouspeople.com. If you have enjoyed this episode, please like us at our Facebook page, Some Very Famous People, and follow us on Twitter at Philip D. Gibbons. Also rate us on iTunes, and if you have the time, leave a brief review. 
A link is provided at the website. Morgan's it, but why, why'd you do to-